Hello and welcome to Somebody's Watching. I'm Ellie Levy. On this episode, I talked to the Adams family, specifically Toby Poser and her husband, John Adams, right before the world premiere of their latest film, Where the Devil Roams. For those who don't know, the Adams family are a filmmaking family. Toby, John, and their kids Zelda and Lulu all work together and create singular indie films. It's all very egalitarian and very cool. In our chat, we talked about how they started making films, the overarching themes in their work, and of course, their new film Where the Devil Roams. There aren't too many spoilers in the episode, but maybe a few mild ones, just as a warning. We screened two of their films at Final Girls Berlin, The Deeper You Dig and Hellbender, and it was so great to sit down and chat with the Adams family. They're so likable and passionate about what they do, you'll see. Okay, here's my chat with filmmakers Toby Poser and John Adams. Hello, Toby, and hello, John. Uh, welcome to Somebody's Watching. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, it's hello. <laughs> super wonderful for you to invite us. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I just want to talk to you about like your background and your process and, of course, uh, your films. Um, so I thought I'd start things out with just a general getting-to-know-you question, uh, film-related which is, uh, what was the first film that you saw that had a big impact on you? I had, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you two if that's okay. Please. Because one is horror oriented and the other is not. Um, I think the first film that had a serious impact upon me, not just um, in my desire to be an actor, which is what I did first, um, but just in general, uh, I was um, East of Eden, Elia mm. Kazan's East of Eden, like 1955, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I had stayed home from school, faking being sick. I just wanted to stay home and watch movies. <laughs> and um, that one came on, and I was blown away. I mean, I had um, the, I, I re- eventually read this Steinbeck book, but what I loved about this was just the, the, the similarities between Cain and Abel, um, you know, the black and white imagery, mm. obviously um, the actors um, and, uh, and that there, and there was, you know, a prostitute, a brothel and, um, and it's, there was so much emotion. Some might say it's too much emotion, but for me, I just found myself bawling my eyes out. I thought, wow, you know, stories just have incredible power. And I was probably in fourth or fifth grade. Oh, wow. Uh, I just, I absolutely loved um, the symbolism in that film. And, and, it, and, and it also was a real work of an ensemble, which is something that I really became turned on to when I did theater. And it's a very theatrical um, film, I would say. Mm. And then horror-oriented would be um, Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now. Oh. Because when I saw that, probably around the same time, what what is that it, like nineteen seventy? I think one? it's uh, three, maybe one, maybe three, maybe yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so oh, so I I was probably yeah not even ten when I saw it, but the images in that film <laughs> just knocked my socks off. I was terrified. I was confused. There was the idea of time travel that was so trippy to me. Um, 
you know, past, present, and future sort of melding into one, this little person with a red coat, the sex scene that went on and on, intertwined with, you know, what they're doing after. So there were just so many fucking cool things happening in that film that I thought, wow, you know, this is art. And yeah. it's... um and yet somehow it's twisted narrative and it's scary and thrilling. And yet it was loving and lovable as well. So I'd say those two films. That's great. It's also quite a challenging film for such a young person. Yeah. Scary. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, John? Yeah, mine are less challenging. I, I, I'm, so I don't know the name of the movie that first rocked my mind, but I remember where it was. I was up with my grandparents in North Carolina, up in the Smoky Mountains, they were watching a black and white movie. It was a war movie. And one of the characters got shot through the cheek. And and then they told me to go to bed. Uh, but <laughs> I, that had a massive impression on me because I wondered, well, what happened to the person's teeth? Did, did that person live? Like, could they talk? Did it go through the other cheek? Uh, there was so many things that the little boy, seven-year-old boy was asking. And it's so fun because that's exactly what making movies is all about is basically for me, it's the visual. It always starts with something visual and then answering the questions of why is that impactful and what's the meaning of it? And I, I don't know that that's what made me love making movies, but when you ask what's the first thing that put a dent on my brain, it's yeah. that. Yeah, it's great. Great answers. You are filmmaking family, um, which is quite, quite the story. Uh, we'll get into it. Um, so what, uh, yeah, what made you decide to make films as a family, first of all? Uh, in 2010, we were all living in Los Angeles. And my acting career had really sort of um, just taken a slight nosedive at that point. I just turned 40. Um, and I was, I think I was kind of bitching about it a lot. And, and fortunately, John one day said, you know what? maybe you should write something and we should all make a film. Um, and that's what we did. Instead of waiting around for things we were interested in, or um, we just started doing it. John was interested in using the camera. The kids all wanted to try their hands at acting. I love writing. I wanted to continue um, creating and portraying roles that represented someone my age or whatever it was um, we wanted to do. We thought, let's do it ourselves. And so that's how in 2010, we, we started, we, <laughs> we bought a really old rickety RV. We called it Harvey, the RV. We drove around for a year homeschooling the kids and we made our first film rumble strips and just learned the ropes. Amazing. And so could, I mean, since you were both actors or in that world, did you also have that equipment or did you know how to use it? Like, was it... How much? Uh, it was just a great um, set of circumstances coming together at the same time. Uh, Toby had always been an actress, so she knew the ins and outs of that world. Um, I had been in punk rock bands and I was asked to be on a reality show where I was going to be a, like a jackass kind of like uh, character. Not quite reality, like mix of reality and science and jackassery. And they needed a jackass, so they hired me. <laughs> and, but what was fun about the job was that I got to hang out with the crew. I really became fascinated with the camera and the sound and how the production was put together. Yeah. So when when we and so that kind of fascinated me. So when I saw Toby 
you know, not getting, you know, Hollywood and the industry, they don't, I don't think that they see the beauty in all of life. You know, they see the beauty in what they're selling and it's usually youth. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, it, it was a great opportunity for me to talk to those characters that I had met and said, Hey, I want to make a movie. And they hooked me up with all the great advice. Like, Hey, you can buy final cut pro. Uh, I mean, you can, yeah, you can buy final cut. You can buy a Canon 5d. You could record with a zoom. And they gave me some great advice that you could, that I could make a movie with no move, uh, no money. That's and, true. and so like technology and our dreams converge right on time. Yeah. Wow. It's definitely like a, an indie filmmaking fairy tale in a way. <laughs> You're a story, I have to say. Um, so speaking of 2010, I just, you know, I looked at your website and I saw this blog post and I just had to like say something about it. Or I just, I was just fascinated by that kind of time capsule and, and how you'd react to it now. So I'm just going to read it out um, and tell me what, what comes to mind, I guess, if you can still yeah, relate to it or, or how you feel about it. So this is from uh, July 6, 2010. And I think this is Toby, right? Toby's blog. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so um, here's a quote. So here's the deal. John, Lulu, Zelda, and I are going to get in an RV. We are going to drive that baby all around the country. John and I will homeschool the kids and vice versa. And we're going to shoot a damn film along the way, damn it. I have to use such emphasis because, well, sometimes you got to show something who's boss. And so here you are witnessing my kid-gloved attempt at reminding the still unnamed movie that we're coming, damn it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) End quote. Um, So this is right before, right? uh, Your first feature, right? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Making the first feature. So, um, yeah. How do you feel like hearing that? And, And does it come, does it feel like it comes from like a different life or do you still feel very connected to this? starting out feeling first of all it almost made me cry (laughs) good thing we're not on video (laughs) i think i have to say there's still a lot of that in us i think there's only that (laughs) we still go into every new um and film endeavor with great childish wonder and enthusiasm and exuberance that is not different from that. We also are still trying, although we would say like, you know, um, the muse is the boss (laughs) and and, um, we're never the boss, but we like to kind of pretend we can kind of, uh, show the muse we know what to do with her (laughs) and we've got to be honest um toby homeschooled the kids (laughs) i taught gym class nice um so uh sticking with a family uh thing um i was just thinking back to like you know history of film and other filmmaking families and I mean definitely nothing like yours I mean but still I was wondering if um people who work together like families that work together like the Coen brothers and Francis McDormand or Rob Zombie and Sherry Moon Zombie or John Cassavetes and Jenna Rollins if that somehow served as an inspiration for you before you started this whole project or were you just kind of like just doing it and that's that (laughs) I I don't in my opinion, it we just really wanted to hang out with our kids. Yeah. So we were like, almost making this movie was an excuse too to drift. Like 
we could have failed at the movie and um, we would have succeeded in basically the main goal, which was me and Toby and the girls at that time, they were going through their own little things and it was a perfect time for us all to drift. And, and the movie was only a way to have an excuse. Making that movie was an, an excuse. Like, cause you know, like, well, what do you mean you're just going to live out of, in a van? You know what I mean? Like, well, well, we're making a movie. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> so I, I think now those people are inspiring. Now I like reading articles about Rob Zombie or any of those um, filmmaking families only because now we can kind of, yeah, they're interesting because we can see what they're going through and it's interesting to learn from their journey. I I am very, I've always been intrigued by the Cassavetes. I think of any of them, there are some similarities because there was a certain mayhem, I think, to some of their films where I feel like sometimes you could even see a boom in the shot and it kind of doesn't matter because it's sort of like, oh my God, the, this collective energy of these people who are obviously friends and family sitting around a table, let's say eating a spaghetti dinner. Um, and, uh, you know, is, is kind of wonderful to me and it was very infectious. So while we weren't trying to, um, replicate that for me, it it felt like a certain artistic creative camaraderie that I loved. And, And these days I also really love meeting people like Emily Bennett and Justin Brooks and, um, uh, Sean Temple and Sarah Wisner. They're like some great married couples who are doing things and it's always kind of, it feels comfortable when we when I see them, um, and we're even going to collaborate with some. Going back to like your the start of it of your filmmaking, it wasn't necessarily a horror, right? That was kind of a bit later on. So I was just wondering, like, even though, but you have been in horror for quite some time. I think oh, maybe like how many years would you say you've been in the horror game, so to speak? Six. The hatred was probably in two thousand seventeen. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. But our original movie, Rumble Strips, Toby wrote a, it was a ghost story where I was going to be, uh, I was going to kill the kids. And um, during the trip, though, we were just in such paradise together that I looked over to Toby one day and I said, I just can't kill the kids. Could we? <laughs> and he said, cool, I'll, re- I'll rewrite it. And so she did. And so <laughs> we rewrote it. And that's kind of actually part of the, our law is work with the way things want you to go. Like we're not huge on having scripts or laws or rules. And so um, it's, it's, and that was a perfect example. We set out with a script that Toby wrote and we very quickly realized, Ooh, don't let's not follow this. Let's follow what feels the path of least and most beautiful resistance. Yeah. And those four dramas really were, they were just, they were great ways to get our feet wet. Um, before we started adding, feeling comfortable with really adding textures of horror and the supernatural. It was, it was felt very, um, that was the wise path to take. And I'm glad we did. Yeah. Right. And what, what would you say? It seems like horror was kind of always on your mind in some way then like what, what was such a good fit? Because you're, I mean, obviously you're horror fans, but um, what is it about about horror that, you know, seemed right to you? I'll, you want to go first? Uh, I know <laughs> what I would. Uh, what, what I think, <laughs> um, for me, I think it's two things. I always love to think about horror as giving breath to a nightmare. 
And I, we all have them. We all have nightmares and it's nightmares are ever safe playing field upon which we can rehearse and practice and um, all the things that terrify us, um, or we can exercise the things that terrify, you know, or can confront them. I think nightmares are, are healthy and, um, and I think that horror is another way, and I think we do it a lot in our films, to, um, to confront innate and universal and deep, deep uh, fears or worries or, um, or even like dark wishes. Um, and the other thing I, was, I would like to say is that I, I'm kind of a big believer in the theory of opposites. And I think that we are a really happy family and we kind of get along. We love each other. And somehow that makes it feel very natural. I guess it plays into the other thing I said, but it feels very natural to explore darkness and twisted shit because we're happy. And, and yet I feel like that happiness gives room for the opposite. It's just like a natural balance. And that's, I, I believe in that. It's kind of like well, a solid foundation that you have. Yeah. I mean, I agree with Toby, except I will say, and she'll, she knows this is true. Toby's made of light and um, I am haunted. <laughs> And and these three girls bring all that light to me. And for me, uh, making horror movies is a great way to what's it called? Exercise the haunt, mm -hmm. and and also to express something that was just born in me. And it's like it's a free pass to instead of bringing it out in real life, I get to bring it out in fantasy, in art, in music, in soundtracks, in dialogue, and it's yeah. a great way to just like basically dance with the demons instead of, I don't want to fight with my demons. I'd rather dance with them. Hmm. Nicely said. Yeah. It seems like you from, you know, I've, I've obviously, I know about you and I've, I've read interviews and everything. Um, it seems like you really work together, like completely together, just do everything. All of you do everything, a little bit of everything in the filmmaking process, kind of like a well-oiled machine. <laughs> um, and it seems like, yeah, you get a lot from that. Obviously, it's it's um, it's great. Um, and I'm, but I also wonder if you also in that process, if you also rely on external feedback. Um, like, are there people outside the family that are also part of the filmmaking process in, in the sense of like checking in or you know whatever it may be? No, okay. there's one, there's one, one person, but and he is the greatest art partner anybody could ever ask for. And his name is Trey Lindsay and he does all of our effects. Right. And so by virtue of creating art together, we have a lot of conversations from the very beginning of the birth of an idea to the very last moment when the movie's over. And he never watches the whole thing. And I don't think he ever wants to, but he's in on the pieces and he loves in the end, when we send him the final edit and he gets to see, it's like the jigsaw person that doesn't know the picture that they cut up. <laughs> and he is, so it's really nice because he's the first person who always sees the, the end product. Yeah. And, and then we get to know what did we do? And, <laughs> and there from the beginning, and he is just the most wonderful person to do art with. Yes. 
it's also, yeah, I mean, it just kind of goes in line with what I already think of you, that you're so kind of courageous. You just kind of like go for it. So, of course, it kind of makes sense that you don't really rely on any, like, you know, tr- traditional feedback, I guess. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, I'm very protective of what we do. And part yeah. of that is not because I'm just like a big brat, but part of it is sometimes if you start looking for others' opinions, they can really whittle away at your creativity. Sometimes I don't even want to read other people's works because I just don't want to be influenced them at the moment. I just want to be able to make sure I'm tapping into our own collective creative brains without too much influence because if if you do that, then you're you're focused on trying to be original. Um, you're not trying to rehash something that's been done, which can be a good. I mean, you can redo things beautifully or make them your own. But for me, it's really important that we aren't influenced too much. If I hear an idea, I almost want to let it go in one ear and partially out the other. Yeah. And that being said, we we have four tough. Critics, it's Lulu, Zelda, Toby, and me, and each of us comes from a different agenda, a different sexual space, a different age, a different everything. It's like we don't, we pretty much got opinions covered. Yeah, <laughs> right, of course, that makes sense. Um, so, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll ask a question about criticism then because it kind of goes in line. Um, this is, I, I guess, after the product is already done, so it's maybe a bit different, but. How, how do you feel about, since you are a family and, you know, obviously very close knit, how do you deal with like, if there are any uh, negative criticisms or things like that, do you just, are you able to separate that from the joyous experience of actually filming and being proud of what you've made, which you should be obviously, um, or is it sometimes a bit trickier because it is your very close people in life? It's tricky. Mm-hmm. For me, it's tricky. I know for Zelda, it's tricky. I, I don't know, you Tob? I think less so for me, and I don't know if that's because I come from the acting world where there is a shitload of rejection. Right. But I personally feel like the most important opinions are ours. I feel like if we've made something we like, I mean, that we really appreciate and um, feel like we can honor with our, that we put our heart and soul into it and that we like what we made, then some criticism isn't all that bad. In fact, I often say, you know what, if there isn't one person in the room who doesn't like what we did, I'm worried we're being too safe or that we're trying to please too many people. So I'm kind of okay with it. I also, I don't, if I can learn from somebody's negativity or not negativity, but negative reviews, I I, I do appreciate that. Like if somebody teaches me something where I'm like, oh shit, I didn't think of that. I'm going to definitely remember that for the next movie. That, that at least is positive. We made a movie, our... Third. third movie got hit pretty hard um and um it was super painful but i do have to say that it was the best learning experience the, the we jumped the furthest down the road from that kind of pain and um so yeah but i also i also remember how it almost made me like oh yeah i, I don't want to do this this is not mm-hmm. i don't like this but we did we we like we like we made another movie and then and then it, it got, it got good reviews. And so it was like, and we kept going and we kept going and now we're talking to you. And so yeah. it's like, you know, but the honest answer is it can be painful. Yeah, of course. But you got to keep space for, for the criticism because um, you have to learn new shit. 
And sometimes learning is hard and bumpy and and imperfect, you know? Yeah, 100%. And so I want to keep learning. And if that means not everyone is going to like what we do, but it makes the next thing we do better, then I'm all for it. Well, here's something interesting, too. Um, we're not making movies for the mall. We're not making movies for the theater and the popcorn and, and you know, selling Coke. We're... Like we're making movies and we feel like we're making movies for people that we're meeting and that we're striking up these great friendships with and we're learning from. And we meet different people at festivals, whether it's critics or other movie makers or uh, people in the audience. And it's like we're starting to find our place and we're starting to understand that it's not a, a big place. It's not a big niche. It's not a big cut of the horror pie, but it's it's the people that we enjoy talking to that that we enjoy their art. We enjoy their criticism. We enjoy. So that's pretty exciting is, is, and it kind of like, I don't know. It does mean that there's going to be a bunch of people that are going to say, I don't like it. it. It's, it's a dumb movie or I don't like it. It's not a slasher or I don't like it. Cause there's no, you know, there's a lot of reasons not to like what we do, but there's a lot of reasons to love what we do. And we're having fun creating for those people. Yeah. You know what I mean, Tove? Do you, do you agree? What do you think? I do. No, yeah. You said it great. I, uh, yeah, I definitely feel like there is uh, very, a lot of enthusiasm for your work because uh, there is a lack of real original creative horror, you know? So, and that's definitely what you make. So just wanted to well, put that out there. Um, speaking of uh, original and low budget uh, indie horror, um, do you have any any tips for people who are starting out? I mean, of course, you have the entertainment industry kind of background, but you know, for anyone, basically, do you, what are the important things to keep in mind? As a- oh yeah, there's so like, I'll I'll say the way I feel right now at this stage of our evolution, <laughs> which is, do what you want. You, don't worry about money. Don't worry about getting permission. Don't worry about a producer or this famous actor or the right camera or the, the microphone or the set that you're dreaming of. Look around you. Whatever's around you, there's a story to be told. Hmm. Tell it. Get the criticism. Go to the festivals. Learn. Make another one with what you just learned and no stopping. That's what I say. Um, And that's the way we feel for sure. Like now that we're, we have done some bigger productions. We have done some things now that are outside of like Adam's family production value and and the, the way we operate. And it comes down to, we feel that the joy of this is in the tininess of it and uh, <clears throat> what's around what can we do with what we got hmm. yeah uh, i guess i'll just add two small things one is to be open to happy mistakes um some of the best things that just fall into your lap when you don't expect them um we have a lot of happy mistakes in our films and and i'm kind of grateful for them and this ties into the other thing i I'm going to mention, which is that sometimes I think people have such an image in their mind about what they want. 
And I think that if you're trying, and, and I would, I would suggest going against that and saying, collect the people you want to work with, mm-hmm. who you're going to love working with and like being around and who are actually going to have fun. Fun. It does not have to be a bad thing. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so that you kind of understand the gist of what you're creating, but let it flow from there. Sometimes if you're just chasing something that's in your head, you're ignoring the stuff that's, as John said, right in front of you, um, that's organic and, and kind of just waiting and pulsing to be captured. Um, So I would just, I would recommend only having a small image of what you want and, and letting the people around you help you um, go for it in a very organic Un, unforced way. Hmm. Great advice. Yeah. Um, I have two more questions about family stuff, just because, uh, again, I find this <laughs> quite fascinating. Um, how do you how do you separate between um, since everything is so collaborative and and it seems like nonstop in a way um, from your filmmaking duties and just being like a family, and also how how do you deal with family conflict? example in the filmmaking process i think they're the the, almost those questions almost just go perfectly together they're almost the same question because if it's fun it's not work so um and but conflict isn't fun so and the kids have a kid life you know and they've always had a kid life so there was always the boundary of do you guys do you want to do this do you want to do this today do you want to do this in a month? What like asking the kids because Toby and I we're we're on the same level. So, but the kids are kids, and now they're now they're adults. But when they were growing up, it was always Zelda, Lulu. We want to make a movie, uh, you know, where a kid get a kid gets hit by a car and buried. So, who wants in? And Zelda raised her hand and said, "I want in." And and Lulu said, raised her hand and said, "I I want out because I want to play soccer." And it's like, great. So there we go. We got Zelda's in Lulu. We're going to let's go practice soccer. And it's like basically just keeping a completely open line of communication about what do you want to do today? And mm-hmm. and speaking of that, like when um, Lulu says, actually, I want to film today. Well, there you go. That's your answer for today. So we're allowed to move organically because we're a family. Mm hmm. And we've always treated our kids like our friends and our peers instead of our subordinates. And so it's just been easy to say, uh, what do you want to do, kid? You know, and they answer. Yeah. Yeah. And and we, I mean, the thing that's interesting is because our, li- our lives and our art, our filmmaking really do, um, they really are connected. They're interwoven it's actually quite um, convenient, you know, to be working together. Uh, You know, you can go from within 10 minutes, you can go from lunch to, and a great idea that's spoken over lunch to actually grabbing the camera and doing it. Um, So that's kind of a lucky thing. And we have to say through the, um, you know, through the years since 2010, when we started doing this, we've just gotten better at the dance working together. Mm-hmm. We listen to each other better. <laughs> we've kind of honed our democracy. It's fun to watch the girls maturing too. Um, like we're working on something 
uh, new now and Zelda, it's just great to see her at 19, almost 20, just how she's evolved mm-hmm. um, and how she talks to actors and, and the ideas she expresses. So it's been a fun evolution and um, yeah, conflict. We've just, we've learned along the way that conflict can is just a stick in your spoke. So if you have it, let's talk about it. Let's get through it, but more so let's avoid it by just being democratic. Everyone gets to do their version of something in our world because we have the time and luxury of doing that. And so we avoid a lot of conflict. And all of us have very, very, very stubborn, strong will. So you can't outshout a strong will. So (laughs) like we, we're not a family that yells. We're more a family that everybody says their piece. It's like four Supreme Court judges <laughs> sitting around fucking coming down with the, the gavel pole. But, and and the know, editing is the judge. Yeah, editing. and the editing is the judge. You know, so there's not a whole lot. I, that's the other thing is we shoot with, uh, you know, cannons. We shoot with cameras with digital. So we can shoot all, we can shoot for six days straight and not spend any extra money. Yeah. So. The editing bay solves any kind of artistic disagreements. And it's also funny because, you know, you talk about me and Lulu and soccer and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, a lot of the footage from our movies, a lot of the B-roll stuff is shot coming home from soccer games. The, the sun will be setting and the clouds are looking magnificent. We pull over and we hang out, we wait, and we talk about the soccer <laughs> game. Meanwhile, the camera's rolling and it's like, you know, and then Lulu was recently last year when we were filming Where the Devil Roams. You know, she needed money and her boyfriend needed money because they had just got done with college. And so we, me and Alex and Lulu built all the sets together. And so it's like we're, yeah. we're hitting a lot of birds with uh, one big, large artistic stone. That sounds pretty dreamy, I gotta say. It's, fun. it's yeah. super fun. Like, it's fun and we're thankful. Yeah. Great. I mean, also, there's a reason why you're still at it, right, as a family. So it can't be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. about your uh, feature Hellbender that I love so much. Um, and you. I'm definitely not alone. Um, and it also seems to have been kind of a game changer for you in terms of popularity and critical acclaim, as far as I can tell. Um, like it was in the top three of the best horror movies of 2022 at Rotten Tomatoes. And it won best film, best actress for Zelda and best score at Fantasia. So congrats for that. Thank you. Um, yeah. So um, in Hellbender, uh, the mother, played by you, Toby, uh, seems to have everything under control, but is actually seems to be playing it by ear. Um, (laughs) And the daughter has been isolated and sheltered her whole life and wants to be independent, but that will 
potentially lead to destruction or almost certainly <laughs> lead to destruction. Um, what was inspiration for this very particular mother-daughter dynamic, which, I mean, I've seen a lot of, you know, films about complicated motherhood, a lot of great films, uh, but this particular dynamic, I feel like I don't think I've ever seen before. So I'm really, really interested in that. Well, that's super cool. <clears throat> um, and thank you for having it at Final Girls. Something we'd love to do in our films is show family dynamics is refracted through uh, uh, the lens of horror. And so in this case, since Zelda and I are mother and daughter, um, we, and we actually don't have a confrontational uh, relationship <laughs> at all, um, which it is towards the end of Help Ender. Um, and so I think we wanted to show not just the coming age of a of an isolated daughter, but also of the mother. I think um, people are always coming of age until they die. Um, and so there were just, yeah, we just thought this would be an interesting dynamic to really show this daughter um, coming into her uh, agency and, and the mother actually stepping down from hers. Uh, we just thought it would be a fun play on power dynamics, um, nature versus nurture. Uh, and it, it just kind of came about very uh, organically with, with, with Zelda and me, sort of as, it was unfolding as we were shooting. And also, um, you know, we like, talk, again, talking kind of about soccer and sitting on the sidelines and all the parents talking about where their kids were in their in their growing up and which parents were hiding everything. Like some parents were drinking gin out of the water bottle on the sidelines, watching the kids play soccer. And while, you know, it's like, it's the question of parenting. Um, me, I had uh, drug problems. I, I've had issues and uh, I, we decided we weren't going to hide those from our kids from day one. So they know every single bad thing. And, but then there's, but that, that's one choice. The other choice is to say, I'm going to hide this from my kids and hope that they never know it and then never do those things. Mm. And, that, and that's a valid choice, too. Um, and that's what the hellbender mom does. Is she's like, I'm not telling my kid any of this stuff. Yeah. You know? And then it won't and it won't pop up. And then that's kind of a fun question. Well, does it pop up because it's in your DNA or does it pop up because you learned it? And, you know, and we were kind of veering towards, no, it's in your DNA and that key comes out of your hand and it opens the door and that shit is coming out and there's no way to stop it. You can lie and cheat and steal, but it's coming out. Right. And that was a really fun, you know, nature versus nurture was really important to us in, in that film. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Thanks for adding that. Yeah. Um, I'd like to um, now talk about your brand new film, Where the Devil Roams. Um, which is premiering at Fantasia on July 27th, right, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. Um, which is great, exciting, world premiere. Um, and it's about uh, a family of murderous sideshow performers in the, in the 1930s trying to get by uh, when pers personal tragedy strikes, I guess I would summarize it like that. Um, I was lucky enough to already watch it. Thank you again. It was a pleasure. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and um, this episode will be released in the fall, so hopefully I can kind of answer some, uh, ask some questions, and it's okay, right? Uh, yeah, right. absolutely. Let's rock. You're our first interview I, about this excited. movie, so we're excited. We're like, oh my god, Ellie, we're, also you're, you're terrified. A good, uh, you're this a good, a, um, you know, litmus test. Yeah, this is, a, this is. We're both horrified and completely <laughs> like uh, we're. Oh my god. 
the first thing that came to mind is obviously the setting. It's a very specific setting. Um, is there a special reason why you, you set Where the Devil Roams in this 30s sideshow circuit? And are you a big Todd Browning fans? Well, we are, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I haven't even seen Todd Browning's films and I don't think you have, well, that's not true. When I, years and years and years ago, but I was probably high and that's why I forget it. (laughs) Um, uh, (laughs) But it actually, this film sprung from one of Zelda's nightmares. So um, I think you were in the car with her on the way to soccer practice. Why don't you talk about it? Well, I think one of the reasons that she wanted to, um, that we wanted to make, set this in the thirties was Again, we looked around. I grew up in an old rambling house from the turn of the century that's filled with old broken antiques. So we looked around. We said, look at all this stuff in my parents' house. Uh, Also, my dad has his grandfather's car sitting in the garage. And Zelda and I were doing a photo shoot. Uh, Zelda wanted to be Bonnie and Clyde in a photo shoot. So I was her cameraman, and she was telling me what to do. And we took these pictures, and then we looked at them, and Zelda said, we should make a movie during this time. And so that really is the, that's the true reason it was set in, in the thirties, but the thirties are just terrific soil for the, the subject that we wanted to tackle. Yeah. Yeah. And artistically it gave us so much freedom because it's set in the past so you can have like strange dark magic that has a romance to it and it's got this dark romance to it and america was really hurt during that time and people were hurt and they were struggling and they were scarred and they were dirty and we wanted to make a movie and desperate and that's what this family is Mm -hmm. because this was a movie we didn't know it at the time i don't think but i think now we're completely aware this is a movie about the final kind of breakup of us as as this four people in a powerful unit because zelda was leaving and and it was you know it cut a big swath and and lulu was gone and it's like that's what this movie is about and like if like visually i think the th- the 30s are a perfect <laughs> spot because it was a tough time emotionally and spiritually for me mm-hmm. well yeah i think for everyone living then also it's this strange kind of dirty liminality but you know between um World War One and World War Two for for John's character that was that gave us nice texture in terms of the arc of his character right. coming out of World War One and what he lost there and um, everyone has their has their vulnerabilities and their compulsions you know and and it's and uh, World War One it was fun to kind of we'd never done that to go even back beyond the depression into World War. World War One and what he experienced there um, was really neat artistically to um, to experiment with that. Mm. We had watched Vampire, you know, with the Y, and um, artistically, I think it's the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. And Toby and I watched it, and we we're like, "Oh my god!" Like, how could we try to be artistic like that? And so it was fun to. That's to kind of like when you turn when black and white is so interesting. So how what kind of excuse can you use to get to that? You know, and and I think we found a 
good way to it, you know? And also like um, ger- the, the films of German expressionism that mm. I, I adore, you know, I love, <clears throat> you know, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I, my, one of my favorite movies ever is one of Murnau's films on the sunset song, a tale of two humans, I think it's called. Have you ever seen that? Is it, is it the one, is it sunrise or suns? Okay. I feel like it's, oh, maybe it's called Sunrise. I'm calling it Sunset Song. Oh, maybe Sunrise, the song of two humans. That's okay. it. Okay. Okay. No, it's definitely on my list, but I've not seen it yet. I know it's a, it's amazing. I've heard. Yes. I'm just like, I have to watch that once a year. Um, and so just like the fun, there was really, it was really a lot of fun. I know we're going beyond your question, but um, we're so excited to talk about this. Uh, it was so much fun. Um you know, experimenting with, yeah, colors and, and, and lack of colors and strange angles and um, you, just, and, and painting. And there's a certain theatricality to German expressionism that I really wanted to bring. It reminds me of the black box theater that I did in college that I loved so, so, so much. Um, and the, and the, and the limited lighting and the starkness. And so it was really fun to experiment with all of that in this. And, um, and I felt, and we felt that we could really do that in an era like the depression. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, it's also like, I guess, you know, hearing the description or reading the description, you imagine it's kind of like a, yeah, just about the the sideshow more, but I, it kind of really played with my expectation because it was quite different, you know, and, uh, and unique again, very nice. Well, you know, what's, you. what's funny about that was when we first started making the movie, we watched the Guillermo del Toro movie of the same era. Nightmare Alley. Oh, yeah. Alley. And so it started <laughs> and I turned to Toby and I was like, we're so fucked <laughs> because it looked so magnificent. It was just flawless. The suits were flawless. The cars were flawless. The 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 carnival was flawless the characters it was i was like oh my god and toby said yeah but ours is going to be the the other side of it the backstage Backstage. (laughs) and suddenly i had this huge feeling of relief because you know lulu and i could build the back but you know and but that's what our story is about it's about the back it's about the performer, they're the lowest on the totem pole, even in the carnival, which is the lowest form of entertainment. And they are the lowest performers. So it's like, it really worked out for us. At least we think it did. Like we just loved creating it. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great. Visually, really quite stunning. Oh, thank you very much. Um, Speaking of, I guess, production and how it worked, um, this time around you also had a bigger uh, cast. and a lot more gore, as, as far as I can tell, at least uh, it seemed quite gory. What was it like kind of, yeah, working on a larger scale in that sense? Where we live in this tiny little podunk town in the Catskill Mountains of New York, there are people who now know us as those strange people, um, you know, covered in blood when they go to the supermarket. And um, and they all over the years have started to trickle in asking if they can be involved. And this was their chance. I think we had almost 80 people in the film. Wow. Um, and so it was family, friends, 
you know, anyone is like, okay, show up. We had traveled during the festival circuit for Hellbender. We started to collect um, just clothes. We would go to all the like thrift stores and just get cheap clothes and start building our, you know, our wardrobe for this mm. film. And we recycled those every which way we could. It was really fun working with the community. Yeah, the community was so wonderful. And like the main, like that was one part of making the movie that was really fun. But the other part that was really fun was we've been in the rock and roll world, the punk rock world, the theater world, and we got to bring in some wonderful performers to be like the magician, the the strange evil magician. We got to bring in a character called Rocky. We got to bring in a whole bunch of characters. They they're not necessarily actors. They're people that we've met along the way that we just absolutely love. And we knew that if we could just set a camera on them, that they would knock it out of the park. And for us, they made all of our dreams come true. They visually and dramatically, these beautiful performers are in a sense, real carnies in real life in 2023. And they brought that to this movie. And I love it. I love the romance of these characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the gore, like getting into- Oh yeah, gore, yeah. fun. Yeah, that was, yeah. well, we definitely set out. We were like, we're gonna, we, okay. So when we do the festivals, we watch a million movies and there's been a couple movies that have really stood out to all of us. And a lot of them, we, we started to see that there was a nice trend in body violence. And, um, and we wanted uh, to take a stab at it. <laughs> and so, we worked really hard at trying to make our body violence as authentic and as brutal as possible yeah. without cutting away, but always set it in a balance so that it wasn't gratuitous. It was for a reason. And either the balance was low or the balance was high. But with each piece of violence that we deliver, we also deliver the opposite weight or at least that's what we wanted to do like you know which the, is our characters pay a heavy price for every act of violence that they do they pay a very heavy price and and we loved balancing that because that is life it doesn't matter whether it's really violence whether it's emotional violence or all the different kinds of trauma you go through, you pay the penalty, like you pay it if you get it delivered to you and you also pay it if you deliver it. And mm. that was fun to balance the, the brutal and the gore with something either beautiful or a hard pay. It's uh, the theory of opposites again, like one plays off of the other. You have violence and you have love and love is very important in all of our films. And I think the love there only makes the violence um, more tragic and and harrowing. Like we, there's a scene um, there of the three flash where we're one flashbacks. Um, I mean, two are quite brutal, but the last one right. is yeah. so it's it's almost it's so hard for me to watch. Like as a mother, that's actually Zelda's boyfriend. <laughs> I won't say what's happening, but I t- warned his mom. I was like, "You're gonna hate us," <laughs> you know. And we it, and it was the blood was so good during it that we were almost loath not to do shoot it in black and white because oh, it's like yeah. oh my god this blood is so good um you know but at that point the the, the film is quite stripped of color mm-hmm. yeah 
Uh, speaking of color, yeah, that's the question I wanted to ask, um, as well as just mentioning that the murder montages were really fantastic. Um, and also, I'm guessing now that I know the creepy dolls were probably from your family's home, maybe a lot of them. <laughs> so many creepy Actually, dolls. we had fun. We went around. Some of them were from, yes, yeah, some of them <laughs> have been sitting around. But we did have, we have a lot of antiques. We're we're from a part of New York that's not very fancy. And so the antique places are a little rough and tumble. Mm -hmm. And so the old antique dolls that we can find around here are exceptional. <laughs> they are, yeah. yeah. So we had a lot of fun with them. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, what, what elements were, were important for you to include in terms of uh, the production design and the color palette since it's, yeah, it's all quite varied? Well, we wanted to build as much of a set as possible. We wanted it to be like the fairs around here are a really big deal. The, and so I've grown up going to the fairs where people sell their animals and there's tractor pulls and there's all these things. And one of the things about them is the smell, the smoke and the dirt. And so I have grown up with that and I wanted to, represent that in a 30s carnival environment and with lulu and alex we had access to a, a, a barn that had been ripped down so we had actual like 140 year old wood mm. and so we were able to build a lot of this out of authentic old wood and we just wanted it to look like a super ragtag poor end of the line carnival and it was it was kind of that's all we had anyway. We only had broken, nasty, moldy wood and, and, and um, canvases and stuff like that. And so I don't know, for me, it really worked. Like when, when we build these things together and then look at them through the camera, they were perfect. Right. Also, you know what? It's, I'm just realizing, you know, in a lot of our films, we'd love to shoot outside in nature since we don't use, yeah. we don't own fancy lighting um, and the interiors in this film. It was just a construction light you could buy at um, Home Depot. And we made like our own spotlight out of uh, just a hollowed out bucket that John <laughs> from Strings, you know, like in the barn where we were shooting. And <clears throat> in this film, I think I don't think claustrophobia is the world, but but in a sense, these people are puppets. These characters are puppets in a devil's game, which can be looked at a few different ways at the end. Um about who's controlling who perhaps um and uh and so there is a certain closeness that i think that was important for us almost as if these people are like within a proscenium or, or are within a storybook um this to me there's something parable like especially as in in in, in the prologue we have someone coming out and speaking of you know, biblical figures like God and Abaddon and, you know, um, John the Baptist. And so there was a closeness in this one that I think was, is unusual and atypical for us and was fun to explore. Also, if I could just add, because I think this is the most important point about production and the production value of this coming movie is Trey Lindsay worked so hard. We talked about critic reviews and things like that. Trey reads everything. And, um, he came to this movie full guns blazing and I think created a kind of magical, a dark magical world mm -hmm. with his effects. Like a lot of the time we brought him, um, you know, footage that 
that he had to put backgrounds on. And for me, the, they're so tasteful because they really, they look, they just bleed into into the real footage. And I think what he did production wise, including turning the film into an old black and white rambling film. Yeah. yeah. I just love what he did. I just, I cannot say enough about how much I love him and his vision and his work and just his partnership with us. Wonderful. Here's a more thematic question, I guess. Um, so Eve, the daughter um, played by Zelda, uh, never questions uh, her mother's actions, um, playing a role in this murder ritual um, as a photographer and trying to repair things when disaster strikes. Um, it's interesting that despite what they do, the family remains solid throughout. Their loyalty is never in doubt um, to each other, I mean. So can you talk about this, this perspective on, on family and, and loyalty? I want to hear Toby's answer first, because I definitely have an answer, but I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that, um, like, once again, we explored a lot of this as we were shooting. It's not like we set out and we knew exactly the ending that was going to happen until we knew what, what it was going to be from going through the motions of uh, letting the story unfold organically. I think that at the end, there are, and I, without giving too much away, there, there is a, there was an option. There was a choice for Zelda's character Eve to go either way. She could, she has the opportunity to be freed from what has been foisted upon, hoisted upon her, which is basically a life of murder. Which then she takes the ropes when her mother is no longer capable, um, or she could do take the loyal route and. Uh, and so I think it was really interesting, especially in the context of Zelda, who was about to go away to college. Mm -hmm. And we were thinking, are we ever going to get to shoot with her again? And blah, blah, blah. And I, maybe now we're just downsizing from a power trio or quartet with Lulu when she's around to a duo. Uh, we didn't know which way it would go. And I like to think that there's a delicious twist um, at the end with um, Eve's choice they can't really talk about, but I think there's a twist about who's, who's, you know, who's leading the dance here, the devil or Eve. Right. And it's also painful too, because is you could be looked at from so many different angles, the ending, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But yeah, so I think it can be looked at with so many different angles. And I think that's the truth about life is you, there are no laws like truisms aren't true. They're just, somebody's just saying them. And what's fun about this movie is you can ask yourself a lot of questions. Does Eve roll along with this crazy family because she's so damaged from them? Like, is she a victim of the family and now she just rolls with them or are they all of the same DNA? And that's why they work so well together. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of questions that, that we want everyone to ask that I can't answer, but I do. The one thing that I think I can answer is that they, I was in college. I had to take a religion class, which actually changed my life. It was like part of like, I was in this college and they said, yeah, you have to take religion 101. It turned out to be, fascinating <laughs> and the the teacher said at one point i remember he said love is always being able to forgive no matter what and i remember thinking that's horseshit but now 
I completely agree. That is what love is, is always being able to forgive no matter what. And the reason this family, like my character, maybe the reason that he's with his wife is because she will forgive him for the terrible shit that he's done, Mm -hmm. that he can't even forgive himself, but she forgives him. So it gives him life. She is the exact same way. Like who would love this homicidal, crazy serial killer? Well, he, he will, because he's done something just awful that he can understand her and he can love her. And it's like, and then there's this kid who has found a way to fit in with this homicidal relationship. So it's kind of like love is, is overlooking flaws. And yes, this is an extreme example, but that's what you can do with horror. Yeah. You can take just a point like, which is, Hey, I love you no matter what. I I know what you've done, but I really love you. And all the characters in our films are very complicated. The mother in, um, in Hellbender is, she's a good mother for wanting to protect her daughter. She's a bad mother for not letting her daughter uh, be her, you know, follow her true nature. In I'm sorry, the mother again in The Deeper You Dig is is a complicated character. She's, uh-huh. and then, and then um, Eve, I think in Where the Devil Roams, Sometimes I, you know, I found myself wondering, and I still wonder, well, maybe Eve's purpose is just this dark angel of death. You know, maybe she's not as innocent as we think, or or is she the devil's puppet? Um, Or does she, is she the one who really holds the thread, which we see her using a lot? You know, is is she the one who wields a sword with her needle and thread? so it's just fun having complicated people. You know, if, if someone's too likable, it's it's no fun. I, I, we want flawed, textured characters who yeah. fuck up a lot, um, and who, but and yet who love each other and and are strangely human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also interesting the choice of of kind of making her semi mute. I guess. Um, like, do you want to go into that a bit? Like, with the reason for for doing that and and then having her sing, of course, like coming, you know, that's her moment. But um, I guess that means it's also like, she has this air of like a very enigmatic kind of mystery because we don't, you know, she can't communicate. She communicates a lot with her body language and her, her face, but not her words. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm curious about that choice. You know, this that first came out that we thought, well, why would this girl, going back to your original question, why would she stay loyal to a family um, mm-hmm. when her family is composed of, you know, murderers? And uh, uh, and we at first we thought, well, she just needs them. By making her lose her voice, we thought, well, she really needs her family. But mm-hmm. then as we started shooting and as Zelda, you know, and just, you know, inundated herself into that character, I realized, oh, no, 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 no. She doesn't need her family so much at all. <laughs> I mean, and as she's going through, I, she's the one who really has quite a lot of power. But she is super odd. <laughs> I mean, she can't talk. She can only, but she can sing exceptionally. There's questions about, she obviously is, a, you know, she she can deal with extreme violence and still eat her dinner. So mm-hmm. it's like, she obviously has issues that are 
outside of society standards that that we did want to set that up so that at least you could answer that question is why does she need her parents you know I but think- it's a question about how complicit is she you know and i think people will have different opinions and we wanted to kind of give her this blank template that doesn't even kind of speak so you we could ask those questions yeah no i love those questions i think those are really important um i also think like but what's fun about like at like not answering well we could have answered well why doesn't she speak but i think it's fun for the audience to argue on the car ride home mm-hmm. i think she doesn't speak because of the violence she's seen because of this sick these sick parents that raised her well i and then you know there's all these questions about well why is she like that and i think that that's really fun yeah yeah it's either that or it's the other that oh actually no she's right she was kind of born born to it i mean know? she there's some scenes where her look is insanely devious Devilish. but that also what we found fun about that the reason we wanted her to have a slightly devilish thing is the whole the background myth of the movie is the long-term plan of the devil to reconnect with his long-lost lover Mm. so and devils the devil needs angels to do his work to do his bidding he needs humans and he needs or she needs you know sentient beings to do their bidding and she is one of those beings and the question is has she outsmarted the devil or is she just a pawn and and I love the way she's dressed in the very last scene because it does, I think it does imply one thing, but then the very last shot implies something else. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you want to go into that last shot, but I, I maybe off the record or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> you- I, I, I don't have a problem. Go- Do you have a problem going into the last scene? I, I mean, because this is going to, this is going to. Well, I think if someone watches it, maybe we shouldn't say exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What I feel about that last scene is it's absolutely glorious. And for me, it says, I am going to keep this family together no matter what. And I love them absolutely dearly. Mm. But there's a mean curse that if you if you follow the whole track of the movie, is stowed upon her family that she has quote saved because what she's done is taken the worst of each. That's what the devil, the devil has taken the best of seven, the father and which is his brains and the best of Maggie, the mother, which is her brawn and body. Um, And so in the end, each strength is, is kind of flipped. Yeah. So it's a nasty little (laughs) curse, but a beautiful image. So, I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, it's the same with Hellbender. The last line in Hellbender, you, you, it's like, Hey, I'm going to go to the store. Do you want me to get you something? And it reverts back to the beginning of the movie where every, the power structures flipped. Right. And, and that's, and, and then, you know, people, a lot of people hate the ending of um, Hellbender and a lot of people love it. And that's to me really important. And, I feel like that's definitely coming down the chute with this one, which is 
<laughs> I, I hate that ending. Oh my God, that's so whatever. But to us, it's extremely exciting because there's so many things to talk about. Toby, I also want to say that you did such a good job in the role of, of Maggie and just managing to be both deadly and charming and the rock of the family. Um, yeah, it's so great to see like a woman like like Maggie kill on screen. So, Thank you very much. <laughs> it means you. a lot to me. It means uh, that is so nice because that is one of the main things is we're tired of seeing men kill people. And it's like we definitely wanted our hero to be a woman killer. And Toby, I agree with you. I love Toby's killing personality. Yeah. She was fun. But you know what's neat too? It's neat because Zelda's character was happier just taking a picture. When when the baton is handed over to her, she really has no joy in it. It's functional just mm. to keep mom kind of going, you know? Um, and I thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah, and both Hellbender and Where the Devil Roams, it seems like family bonds are tied to murder, matrilineal mayhem, trauma, and knowing or not knowing when to let go. Um, it's kind of like you kind of talked about this before, but maybe in, in a summarize it, maybe. Um, how do these themes like connect for you? Like, why, why do these themes often pop up for you? Such a great question. I mean, I know why they pop up for me, but I would like to hear yeah. your answer. This time you go in and I'll, and I'll go since you know what you want to say. Because life is filled with brutality and beautifulness. And we all go through wicked <clears throat> trauma and we all deliver wicked trauma and it's complicated. So we're celebrating the humanity of us all in our horror movies because there is no clear cut hero there is no like when people say, "What's it called?" The, like the like the good person in a movie. Protagonist. Yeah, they, <clears throat> who's the protagonist? I love that question. It's like there is no fucking protagonist. Well, who's the antagonist? There's also no antagonist. It's mm -hmm. like they're just people, and it's brutal, and it's beautiful. Hmm. Yeah, and I guess I'll just add. I think a theme that we love in all of our films. Um, we're well we live in a very natural setting and so the brutality and beauty of the duality and brutality of nature is always just you know we're just gobsmacked by it daily whether it's um the sounds of rabbits dying or the road kill um or the seasons where we live every season is so sharply differentiated from the last and the one coming and so there's something about the cyclical nature of life and the world around us that we find fascinating and in this case um in this and and so you have that in the matrilineal um you know, themes in Hellbender where the mother becomes the daughter, becomes the mother, becomes the daughter. It's like the Ouroboros and each season eating each other. And life in, in the deeper you dig, one life turning into another uh, through possession tale. And in this case, it's about what is uh, created and um, in the end uh, after, you know, th there's sort of like 
death turns into life turns into death mm-hmm. and around and around we go. So I don't know. That's just kind of thing is, is always interesting to us. And I think it's partially because we're just so influenced by what is around us every day. At, on the matrilineal um, question, Toby just said we're influenced by what's around us. Our family, if you, and you know, Toby, she's our power <laughs> and, and we're celebrating that. And she's, we have created these two very powerful women and we're celebrating that. Our movies can't not be about that because I mean, I guess they could, we could decide to make movies about weak women, but, but since we have these powerful women, it's yeah. a hell of a lot more fun just to let them explode. And plus I think cinema is catching up, but there's so much fertile ground to to plow through because cinema has largely missed out on kind of the best stories of all, which are about women and their just like infinite power. Yeah. And murder, to answer to that part of your question, I mean, murder, besides it just being fun, um, (laughs) You know, um, cinematically, I mean, if you look at just everything back to, you know, um, Euripides and Aeschylus and and, uh, Shakespeare and Spencer, I mean, there's just like, there's so much, you know, stories about death and family dramas have have never, it never gets old. Um, And competitions within generations, I think, are interesting, too. Um, you have a competition in a way between a mother and a daughter in Hellbender. In this case, um, there could be between Eve and, and Maggie, but I, I, I think there there isn't, unless you want to look at it as Eve getting the upper hand. It, again, it depends on how we look at it. Right. Um, <laughs> I think those those things are fun within families because, again, it's just if everything's perfect or a mother is perfect or in 100% generous, it's just so fucking boring. <laughs> yeah, and unrealistic in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. This has been uh, predictably wonderful um, for me, at least. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, do you have any questions or are you um, – is there something else maybe you want to say about where the devil roams or – things that we didn't cover? I don't think so. We're really grateful that you got to um, kind of be our sounding board. We haven't formed verbal, like spoken words around it yet. So we're, we're getting our feet wet in that way. Yeah. We're walking on marbles over here, but thank you for this. And thank you for getting our brains going, but also Mm -hmm. thank you for your generosity and um, just your, your thoughtfulness in watching our movie and your thoughtfulness in talking about our family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, I love what you do and I, you know, we're a small fest, but we really want to support you and everything you do basically. And um, yeah, I uh, keep going. <laughs> the yeah. final the time I was at final girls was one of the best fest experiences I've ever had. That's and I, all Toby, that Toby always I talks talk about final about fest. I want to go. And I was crushed when we yeah. weren't there during the pandemic. Um, but I just want to say uh, that also I've said it to you, but I'm going to say it now again, that you, I love um, your interviews and you have great smart people on. I have so many episodes. I have several episodes still like on, on deck including the male nudity one and the Keanu and Adam Driver one. I cannot wait. Sorry. And, um, anyway, so thank you for um, giving my ears good candy. 
<laughs> thank you. Thank you for, for having the time for this. And, um, and yeah, have a great time at Fantasia. Very exciting. And I, you know, many other like Fright, I think Fright Fest, right? You, mm-hmm. yes. yeah. so, you guys are in February, right? We are in February. Yes. Thanks so much. Yeah. You, Look forward you, to Sally. seeing you in person. Yes, me too. <laughs> All right. Bye. Have a nice day. Bye. Thanks to Chris Yoe Tokunaga for the music and Julie Saragoza for the sound mixing. You can follow Somebody's Watching on Instagram and Twitter, and you can also reach me anytime at somebodyswatchingpod at gmail.com. Please subscribe and rate Somebody's Watching on iTunes because it will really help with the podcast's visibility. Thanks! Thanks!